The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way. Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whitbeer, the neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. For more information, log on to their website at harlembeernc.com. On December 27th, 1892, Livingstone and Biddle College, now known as Johnson C. Smith University, played in Salisbury, North Carolina with Biddle winning 5-0. Over time, HBCU football has evolved. HBCU football's popularity continues to rise. Millions attend games each year and millions more watch on television. The HBCU bands provide some of the top entertainment in the country. Over that time, some of the best players to ever play in the National Football League played at HBCUs. Every Monday through Friday on the HBCU Football Daily Podcast, national radio and television host Donald Ware takes a look at what's happening in HBCU football and talks with coaches, players, administrators, and media about the season. Make sure you join the conversation on social media now. Here's your host, Donald Ware. It's a Christmas and holiday edition of the HBCU Football Daily Podcast for today, Wednesday, December 20th. I'm Donald Ware. It's a special edition of the HBCU Football Daily Podcast in 2023. Look, we weren't as consistent as we would have liked to have been with the HBCU Football Daily Podcast. And uh, we recognize that. uh, But in 2024, uh, we will be back and better than ever in 2024. So we wanted to do sort of a wrap-up edition of the HBCU Football Daily Podcast, a wrap-up edition of uh, the season, which was a phenomenal season. Congratulations to the Florida A&M Rattlers, named HBCU National Champions as the HBCU coaches and media polls were released on Monday. It was a good football game. In Atlanta on Saturday with Florida A&M coming away with the 30-26 to victory over Howard. And Howard had some opportunities. Went up 14 to nothing. Was up 16-7. to And Florida A&M just kind of stayed patient. As, as a matter of fact, uh, Willie Simmons, who was also voted uh, the HBCU Coach of the Year. We'll talk a little bit more uh, about that. Stated in his wrap-up uh, press conference on Monday The Rattlers never panicked, never panicked, even when going down 14 to nothing, even when Jeremy Musa threw the interception, never panicked, stayed vigilant and came out with the victory. Meanwhile, uh, for Howard, you look at a Howard team where uh, the quarterback, Quentin Williams, I was looking, I think he only threw one interception in the last five games or one interception. Um, against MEAC opponents. I think in his last five games, he was like 10 touchdowns to one interception, had uh, three uh, in this football game. So, um, but, you know, a number of different factors and give Florida A&M really all the credit in the world. That defense is really, really good. The Rattlers settled down. Isaiah Major, uh, the linebacker, is the absolute truth. And so Florida A&M, Uh, gets its first HBCU national championship since 19, 
98 in its first appearance, of course, uh, in, in the game in Atlanta um, and, and was able to get that victory. And now we'll see what happens. Willie Simmons um, going to build upon this. And I think, you know, there's a couple of things I want to kind of really get to uh, when I think about summation of the season. And let, let me let me even start. I think it was going to be one of the things I was going to mention last, but let me even talk about this, the transfer portal. Um, you know, in, t- in thinking about Willie Simmons, I think about Florida A&M and what Willie Simmons was able to build. Now, think about this. Even through the pandemic, when Florida A&M did not play in 2020, okay, he was able to keep a lot of those players together. Isaiah Land had other opportunities to leave and go other places. He stayed through last year. I, You know, Isaiah Major. A lot of these guys where they had opportunities to leave Willie Simmons was able to keep those players. And I think that he'll be able to keep, you know, quite a bit of those players moving forward. I look at this transfer portal. It's like the day after the season is over. It was a mass exodus across college football. But to me, more surprisingly and specifically as it relates to HBCUs, a lot of really good players that are leaving programs to go to other places. Look, If a program doesn't fit for you, it's not a fit for you. I mean, I guess I kind of understand that. I I would say this under the old rules, you couldn't just transfer from program to program because you didn't like the program. There were specific reasons if you decided to make a transfer. Now, you always have been able to transfer, but you hadn't always been able to play right away where now, you know, you can play right away. And it's a bit surprising. I mean, I get it. If, you, if you're coming to, you know, an HBCU and and maybe you were what we call an old prop 48 or 42 person grade wise and you didn't have a chance to get to go to one of the bigger schools. So you ultimately came to a smaller school and specifically an HBCU. And of course, a lot of guys stayed there because you'd have to sit out a year if you wanted to transfer back up to where you really wanted to go. You know, you had some guys. Um, that had those kind of situations that decided to transfer. But, you know, I look at it like this. And again, I don't behoove anybody who wants to play where they want to play. But for some of the guys that transferred, I would ask this question. The same schools you're transferring to, or you're putting your name in the portal, a lot of times because you're looking to kind of maybe move up. Were those same schools recruiting you to come to their specific school before you actually sign to go to said HBCU that you're transferring away from, right? Our schools have almost become sort of a training ground, uh, a a minor league, uh, if you will, for places to transfer to. And I think that's very unfortunate. Look, if it's a situation there, there have been plenty of situations where it makes sense, you know, even under the old rules, sometimes, you know, a parent may have passed away or something like that. Um, You know, you want to be a little bit closer to home under the old rules. So you would try, I get all of that, but I would just caution because then sometimes it doesn't always work out at said school. You're going to, okay. You've had a couple of guys that have had some success uh, when transferring a basal Tootin who transferred last year from North Carolina, A&T to Virginia tech, had a, a, a 
uh, a, a really good season with the Hokies this year. Uh, even w- with A&T, you look at Jacob Roberts. Now, Jacob Roberts graduated. He graduated A&T, then transferred. See, under those old rules, if you graduate, graduated, then you were able to transfer and play right away. But even a Jacob Roberts had a really good season uh, for Wake Forest. I don't know all the numbers, but he was one of the leading tacklers, at least for Wake Forest. Had a really, really good season uh, for the Demon Deacons. So you have sort of those um, different dynamics where there are some successes. And I'm not, it's not to say that uh, players won't have success, but boy, just remember, did those schools that you're trying to go to recruit you at first or in a lot, and, and, and that's one part of it could be, you know, maybe the fact that, um, you know, it just, it just wasn't a good fit. Sometimes it's just not a good fit. I'm not a proponent uh, of the, I'm not a proponent at all of the transfer reporter or, or NIL, but I do recognize there are some reasons that players do in fact transfer. So sort of staying on the transfer portal, um, you know, I look at uh, North Carolina central head football coach, Trey Oliver and, um, you know, this year the Eagles weren't able to get back. But now remember, and I'm, I'm going to say this, um, Trey Oliver is part of the Rod Broadway c- coaching tree. And I remember in 2015, a won the HBCU National Championship, won, you know, the Celebration Bowl against Old Corn State the next year. Did, did not, as a matter of fact, lost to North Carolina Central, but went to the playoffs in 2016 and then in 2017 Rod Broadway's last year went undefeated won the celebration bowl and then A&T won under Sam Washington the seller the uh HBCU national championship the next couple of years perhaps this this could be something similar for Trey Oliver winning it your first year didn't get back the next year and then maybe subsequently winning it in years to come maybe but I tie it back to the transfer portal because the Eagles lost several players this year, lost several players last year um, as well. And I know that Trey Oliver's not, he, he, he says, hey, we don't really dip into the transfer portal. If, le- if guys want to leave and go into the transfer portal, that's on him. But we'll see because if you have a mass exodus, um, you know, you can build your program up, no doubt about it, but you're still going against um, programs that are that are established with players that um, maybe have been together for quite some time. So I'm interested to see moving forward. I thought obviously the Eagles had a good season. I'm interested to see how the Eagles season will be moving forward. That's one of my takeaways uh, from the 2023 season looking into 2024. Buddy Pugh, Retiring as the head football coach at South Carolina State after 22 seasons. Um, what a run at South Carolina State. I think eight MEAC championships, uh, three or four HBCU national championships, um, multitude of players uh, that are playing in the National Football League currently that have played in the National Football League, um, ran a clean program um, at South Carolina State. And so what an unbelievable run as the head coach at South Carolina state. You're, you don't see guys that is, that will stay with a program, one program for 22 seasons. It's very rare. Okay. You've had some of the greats that have done it. Um, you know, um, of course you look at it, you look at Eddie Robinson, but that, you know, that you look at, um, you look at some others, but there are some others 
that were great coaches that didn't have the run in terms of one program. Even if I look at a John Merritt, right, at Tennessee State, at one time he was at Hampton, and the list kind of goes on and on. Of course, it doesn't take away from their greatness, but I'm just saying to stay with one program, okay, for that amount of time is tremendous. Um, uh, Kudos, you know, I tip, I I would tip my, 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 uh, my, my, my hat to, um, to Buddy Pugh, but I, I give a salute to Buddy Pugh in terms of what he was able to establish at South Carolina State. Now, of course, Chinnis Berry had the success at Benedict the last three years uh, or three or four years now takes over as the head football coach um, last three years as the head football coach at South Carolina State. He's missing a Jawarn Howard who went into the transfer portal uh, and others. But I know, you know I'm pretty sure, um, uh, look, uh, you're talking about Chinnisbury going to be able to establish a really, really good program. So again, tipping my cap. Uh, and one of the takeaways for me, uh, Buddy Pugh retiring as the head football coach at South Carolina State. You know, one of the other takeaways that I had, the competitiveness of the SIAC this year, especially in light of doing away with the divisions, which I thought was a good move And it turned out to be because it made for some excitement down the stretch. When you have divisional matchups, you know, and and in the SIC now, I will say this, in years past, it generally came down to the last game of the season between Miles and Tuskegee to decide the Western division. But this year, I mean, look, Albany State won it on the last day of the season, probably should not have even been in the SIAC championship game. Okay, Benedict ran away with it, but you still had the likes of a Tuskegee who only had three losses. You had the likes of a Miles who only had three losses. Allen only had three losses. Um, You know, well, Tuskegee had four losses, uh, but it played 11 games, right? Um, You know, Edward Waters was right there. It was so competitive in the SIAC this year, and it was really good to see, especially after doing away with the divisional part of the conference. So kudos to the SIAC. I thought the football was excellent, and I thought it made for excitement down the stretch in the SIAC. Um, Another one of my takeaways, the future of um, the MEAC slash Celebration Bowl. Okay, where the MIAC sits right now, and the MIAC is in, it's in good position, right? Like six teams, you may say only oh, it's only six teams, but at the end of the day, through two, the, the in other words, right now the MIAC and the future of the MIAC, um, at least from a football standpoint, is tied to the Celebration Bowl as we stand right now, which runs through 2026. In other words, let's say the Celebration Bowl. Went away. Well, guess what? The MIAC would not have an automatic berth to the FCS playoffs uh, right now. It's not to say that it couldn't get an at-large berth. We saw it happen um, this past year, uh, this, you know, uh, 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 last month where North Carolina Central got the at-large berth. We saw it happen back in 2016 in the Celebration Bowl era where North Carolina A&T got the at-large berth uh, going back again to the 2016 season. But, you know, um, it it, it 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 just it just had me thinking a little bit. Uh, the MIAC is good right now, you know. Again, as I've always stated, financially, solve uh, it's, it's in good shape financially. 
But what happens if that celebration bowl goes away? And the reason I say that is this. Um, the celebration bowl, and I remember um, 2015, and uh, calling um, you know ABC to kind of get some numbers in terms of the viewership for the Celebration Bowl. And if I remember correctly, it was like the third most watched sporting event of that day um, uh, back in 2015, right? The numbers were low for the Celebration I don't even think the Celebration Bowl got a one share uh, this year, about one and a half million viewers or so, which is, which is, which is decent. But it, it's, 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 it was low comparatively speaking to Celebration Bowls in years past. Now, even before... You know, Deion Sanders came to Jackson State. You looked at the Celebration Bowl, the numbers were decent. And and as I mentioned, going back to 2015, some pretty good numbers to start off. It's interesting because I look at the attendance numbers and the attendance was good. I think 41, in excess of 41,000 is solid. The previous two years you had like, I think 48,000 and 49,000, something like that. But I think a lot of that had to do uh, with Jackson State and, and Deion Sanders being the head coach uh, kind of uh, in terms of the numbers approaching 50,000, although Florida A&M brings, you know, a great crowd. Jackson State brings a great crowd anyway, even outside of Deion Sanders, right? But when you go back to before Deion Sanders and before COVID, you were in the 30,000 range in terms of attendance. So I think it's done a good job in terms of the Celebration Bowl in terms of marketing itself. So it's not just fans of the respective teams that come out um, and come out to the game, but it's HBCU alums, generally speaking, and specifically a lot of times in Atlanta, because when you look at Atlanta, it's one of your really big cities and you've got alumni associations, I'm sure of most of the HBCUs that have established alumni associations in Atlanta that will support the Celebration Bowl. Uh, that said, in that noon time slot on ABC, you know, I'd be interested to see what how ABC and Disney approaches that moving forward with such low numbers, okay? So got to find a way. You've got the attendance numbers are solid. I think 41,000 at a game uh, is good. I think that's I think that's solid. But now you've got to find a way to get those numbers up in terms of the viewership. Because if the Celebration Bowl goes away, then the MEAC's got a little bit of an issue. And I'm sure that the MEAC is still moving forward in terms of trying to solidify uh, other schools to be part of the conference. From a basketball perspective, you've got eight schools. Um, you're, you're good when you add Coppin State and Maryland Eastern Shore. You're good with that. But look, I mean, baseball went away, unfortunately. You know what I mean? So, we, you, we, you know, it's just something to kind of keep an eye on and something that I thought about sort of one of the takeaways uh, from the 2023 season, all being it the latter part of the season. Finally, players of the year, the offensive player of the year in HBCU, uh, Davius Richard, the quarterback for North Carolina Central, had a tremendous year. I think he, had, he was responsible for like 40 touchdowns. Um, matter of fact, he had, I think he had more rushing touchdowns than he had pass. No, maybe like 21 to 18, something like that. 39, 40 touchdowns had a really, really good season. The Willie Davis defensive player of the year, Terrell Allen, the defensive lineman uh, from Tennessee state had like 28 tackles for loss. He had like 14 sacks, had an absolutely a tremendous season, uh, did, uh, Terrell Allen 
your special teams player of the year. Tamon Cook, the kick returner for North Carolina A&T, returned three kickoffs for touchdowns on the season. Your uh, coach of the year, uh, Willie Simmons, phenomenal job at Florida A&M. It finally came to fruition. He had done, you know, and, and, and look, when I think about Willie Simmons, and, and as a matter of fact, if you didn't have a chance to listen uh, earlier in the year, maybe in October uh, during the HBCU Football Daily Podcast, had a conversation with Willie Simmons. I invite you to check that out because, you know, and I asked him about um, maybe um, an opportunity to, to head coach at the FBS level. He had something really interesting to say. I invite you to go back and check out that conversation. But, you know, you think about his his days at Prairie View A&M where he did a, a good job there and now um, doing a really, really good job at Florida A&M. It all came to fruition and, uh, with winning the HBCU National Championship and he was named the HBCU Coach of the Year. The Rookie of the Year uh, was uh, was uh, Jawarn Howell, the running back for South Carolina State. And then the Impact Player of the Year, which is an award given by Box to Row, uh, was Morgan State linebacker Eric Hunter, uh, E-40. I thought he had an absolutely tremendous season. Um, he, what an impact he had, and he had a really huge game on his way to being H, named HBCU National Player of the Week going back to week one with Morgan State's victory over Richmond. He had a tremendous impact, uh, I thought, did one E-40 um, uh, Eric Hunter for uh, Morgan State and on that Morgan State program. And he's, you know, he's he's just a junior. Uh, I hadn't looked at the transfer portal deal recently. I'm assuming that he's coming back uh, for Morgan State. So that, that would bode well for the Bears. So those are some of my takeaways uh, from 2023. What are some of your takeaways from 2023? Hit me up uh, via X at Dware one at Dware one. Let me know some of your takeaways from 2023. That's the, listen, this is the last podcast for 2023. Thank you to those who supported the HBCU football daily podcast and have supported the HBCU football daily podcast. This now our seventh season of the HBCU football daily podcast. Thank you to those that have shared uh, the HBCU football daily podcast as well. Shared the content with your friends. So again, last edition of the HBCU football daily podcast, but box to row in of itself continues. We've got the weekend edition of the program. As a matter of fact, we begin our year end review shows. And of course, for a radio station in your area that carries box to row, you can log on to box to row.com and click on the affiliates link to find a radio station in your area that carries the program. You can also listen Fridays at 6 PM Eastern time. That's five central and three Pacific time on Sirius XM college sports radio. That's channel 84. You can also listen Saturday mornings, 9 a.m. Eastern, 8 Central Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on Sirius XM Channel 142, the HBCU channel. Listen, have a very Merry Christmas, Happy Holiday Season, Happy New Year to you and yours. And for all of us from the HBCU Football Daily Podcast, thank you for your support. It will talk with you in 2024.
We hope you enjoy this episode of the HBCU Football Daily Podcast. You can watch on our YouTube page on YouTube at HBCU Football Daily Podcast. Don't forget to get your HBCU football fix on Box to Row with Donald Ware each weekend on a radio station near you and on Sirius XM on the HBCU channel, channel 142, and on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM, channel 84. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest in HBCU football. And don't forget to tell a friend.